standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. I want to talk about the judgment. It's one of the reasons why we here as we are here as a people today. It's the judgment and the understanding that God has given us concerning the judgment. And I want us to look at the judgment in the light of man's probation, and particularly the close of probation, because there are there is a question, I should say, in the minds of many that many have, and that is, when does probation close? Not only individual probation, but what about corporate probation? The probation of the world, the probation of the church. These are many questions, I think, that have been bantered back and forth among Adventists for many years. And I want us to look at what the Bible has to say and what inspiration has to say in regard to this subject that we can better understand the judgment in relation to the close of probation. Then we can understand not only when the judgment began, but when will the judgment end? Does the Bible give us any indication that we might know when that judgment will come to an end <clears throat> and when probation shall come to an end? And with that, I want us to take our Bibles in hand. Let us begin by turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. A couple things I want us to note in this passage, in this verse. Number one, whose judgment seat is it? Christ's judgment seat. That's important to remember. Christ is the one judging in this instance. And notice, what kind of judgment is it? It's a judgment according to the things done in the body. So this is not an investigation that is brought to view here. The scene that the Apostle Paul is portraying is not one of investigation, but it's a one of reward or punishment. They're brought before the judgment seat to receive sentence and execution. Those that have done good will receive good. Those that have done bad will receive bad. So there's a particular phase of judgment brought to view in this verse. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we understand, or at least I assume we understand, that there are different phases to judgment we understand how law works, we understand that there is a process of three stages or phases through which judgment proceeds. The beginning is investigation. Every case is initially investigated. Every action is investigated. Every thought is investigated. Every word is investigated. For Christ looks not only at our deeds, but he looks at our, our thoughts and our words. For he tells us that every man will be judged by his words and that Jesus' words will judge him in the last day. So there's a criteria, there's a standard, and there is a process of investigation that every one of us must go through. Now the question is, when does the investigation begin? When does a man's life begin to be investigated? The answer, 
at birth. The moment you're born, you're under investigation. The eye of God is upon you. Every thought is being taken record of. Every word is being taken record of. Your life is under investigation from the moment you are born until the day you die. So the investigation process begins at birth. The second process is after investigation is complete. We know it as the judicial or sentencing process. Once all investigation has been considered and weighed in the balance, a decision needs to be made, guilty or innocent. So the second phase is that of decision. Sentence is pronounced. And the third is what is to be done with that sentence. A sentence is no good if you have no power to carry it out. Law is powerless if there is no one to enforce it. So we have the third phase of judgment, the executive form of judgment, when the sentence is officially carried out. And these are the three stages in which judgment proceeds. And God gives us illustrations of each of these in his word. I want us to notice a statement in regard to the opening of this period of investigation. It's taken from the book, The Great Controversy, page 486. There the author tells us this. It says, At the time appointed for the judgment, the close of the 2300 days in 1844. So now we know the date that was set. Typologically, in the Old Testament, it was the Day of Atonement in type. And it was set on a particular day. Anyone tell me what that day was in the Jewish calendar? This is the 10th day of the seventh month. And that was a prophecy. These types, these services, were not only typological, but they were prophetic. They pointed not only to the fulfilling, but to the time when they would be fulfilled. Passover was fulfilled on the very day specified, the very hour specified. So these were prophecies. And she tells us that the judgment had a specific day appointed to it. We know it today as October the 22nd, 1844, when it would commence. Then, we are told, began the work of investigation and blotting out of sins. All who have ever taken upon themselves the name of Christ must pass its searching scrutiny. Both the living and the dead are to be judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. So we see here the phases. Investigation begins, and then not only is it a judgment of investigation, but a blotting out of sins, which tells us that there is going to be a decision and an execution. So we are judged according to those things done in the body, those things which are written in the books. The record of each of our lives is going to be brought up and investigated. A decision is going to be passed. And at the end of this period, sentence will be executed. But notice, who are involved in this? Both the living and whom? The dead. Upon whom does the investigation begin? 
with the dead. With the dead. In the case of all those that have died in Christ, their record will be brought up and investigated. And that began on October 22, 1844. Now, notice this statement. When the work of investigation shall be ended, when the cases of those who in all ages have professed to be followers of Christ have been examined and decided, then, and not till then, probation will close and the door of mercy will be shut. So here you see a process. When the work of investigation shall be ended, then what begins or what closes? Probation. So you see a correlation. Probation closes at the end of what period of the judgment? The investigative. That's right. Once the investigation is done and sentence is pronounced, probation closes. Case closed. Everyone is simply waiting for the execution of the sentence. And there will be a time of waiting. But notice, it's not till then that probation closes. It doesn't close before until the investigative work is complete. And the investigation begins with the dead. So when all the cases of the dead have been investigated, then investigation passes to the living. And when that closes, the door of mercy will close. Probation will close. Revelation chapter 22 and verses 11 through 12. These are the words of Jesus. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. This verse brings to view the second phase of judgment. Sentence is pronounced. The investigation has been completed, and Jesus pronounces that those who have been found filthy will remain filthy still. Those who have been found unrighteous will remain unrighteous still, and vice versa. Those that are righteous will remain righteous, and those that are holy will remain holy. And he comes with his reward, which tells us that the decision has been made, every case has been decided, and execution is being prepared. So Revelation tells us clearly that there will be a time, but the question is when? When does this event take place? Let's turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel. It's in the last verse of chapter 11 and the first verse of chapter 12. And he, that is the king of the north, shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he, the king of the north, shall come to his end and none shall help him. We'll stop there for a moment. This power that is known in the prophecy of Daniel chapter 11 as the king of the north comes to its end and none helps him, which tells us that previous to this time, he has received help in order to be sustained. In all his wars and, and battles, he has been aided and succored. 
But prophecy tells us when he plants his tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, which I believe is representative of the land of Canaan or Jerusalem, when this power plants its tabernacles, its government in that place, it says he comes to his end and none this time help him. So we have an event prophesied that when this power comes to its end and none help him, what happens? Notice verse 1. And at that time, the time this power comes to his end and none help him, at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So here the scene of judgment is given us. And notice, who stands up? Michael, which is another name for whom? Jesus or Christ, that's right. At that time, Jesus stands up. Now, if you're not familiar with this term, the term stand up means to reign. And in order for Christ to stand as king, he has to put off the garments of the high priest, which means that ministration has come to an end. The standing up of Michael ushers in the close of probation. Every case is decided because he comes to deliver all that are found written in that book, those are, whose names are not found written in that book, will be destroyed, will be put to death. Sentence is being prepared when Jesus stands up. And we know the event that immediately precedes it. The fall of the king of the north is given to us as the sign that we can know when the close of probation is. It's at that time, we are told, that Michael stands up and a time of trouble comes upon God's people such as never was since there was a nation. Notice also another statement from the book, The Great Controversy, page 613. This is after the first paragraph where these verses are quoted. These words are written. When the third angel's message closes... Mercy no longer pleads for the guilty inhabitants of the earth. Which tells us that what has closed? Probation. It closes when? When the third angel's message closes. So here we have another clue. It's connected with the fall of the king of the north. And it's connected with the close of the third angel's message. Now, if you're not familiar, the third angel's message is connected with the first two that went before. They're called the three angels' messages. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 12 contain those three angels' messages. These messages are identical with the message of Revelation chapter 7, where John sees in vision four angels who are given charge of the four winds that blow upon earth that bring about its destruction. And these angels are holding back the winds and they're preparing to let go. But then John sees another angel rising from the east as the sun rises. And this angel says, 
Hold, let not the winds go until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. But the writer continues. The people of God have accomplished their work. Notice who this angel represents. Who have completed their work? The people of God. So this message is representative of God's people who bear a message to the world. And when they have finished their message, it is finished. She continues. An angel returning from the earth announces that his work is done. Very similar to the language of Ezekiel. The angel with the rider's inkhorn, given a task of going and writing a mark upon the forehead of everyone that sighs and cries for the abomination that's done in the land, beginning at the house of God and the elders. And then that angel returns with the message, Lord, I have finished my work. So that language is here being employed. An angel returning from earth announces that his work is done. The final test has been brought upon the world. All who have proved themselves loyal to the divine precepts have received the seal of the living God. Then Jesus ceases his intercession in the sanctuary above. He lifts his hands and with a loud voice says, It is done! And all the angelic host lay off their crowns as he makes the solemn announcement. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Every case has been decided. That is, judgment has been pronounced. Every case has been decided for life or death. Christ has made the atonement for his people and blotted out their sins. When does the blotting out of sin happen? At the close of probation. Inspiration is very clear. Our sins are not blotted out. They remain on record until the time when probation is closed. Until the message has done its work. At that time, all the record that has been against those who have repented will be blotted out. They will not be able to bring any particular sin to memory at that time. But not until that time. So don't let anybody fool you that your sins are no more. They are not no more until the close of probation. Until then, we have a work to do. And Christ... We need to be cooperating with our high priest in heaven who is finishing that work for us, even as we speak. So the Bible gives us clear indication. But as we are looking for a future event, we have nothing in history to go by. We have only that which has been declared. So we have to consider all the things that have been written and prophesied in order to understand when these things shall be. And if our understanding of history and prophecy is correct, then we can come with a reasonable amount of certainty as to when these events will take place and how soon it will be. Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13, we have prophesied the rise of two powers. The first power is pictured as a, a leopard-like beast with seven heads and ten horns. And 
and ten crowns upon those horns. He has the mouth of a lion and the, the feet of a bear. And he rises to power and rules for 42 months, 1260 days, or a time, times, and the dividing of time. We know this beast is representative of that great power that ruled during the Dark Ages. We know it as the papacy or the papal power. It ruled for 1260 years from 538 A.D. to 1798 A.D. when its power effectively came to an end. That is its power over nations and kings. Though the power still exists, the beast still exists. And after it received its deadly wound and its power over nations and kings comes to an end, another beast is seen arising in, in verse 11. This beast or seen arising out of the earth at the very same time that this beast is going into captivity. So we know that this beast would rise sometime around 1798. It has two horns like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. So its form of government is lamb-like. It's Christian in its form of government, we might say. It has similar principles to that upon which God's government is based, or the lamb's government is based. This beast, he doesn't have sharp protruding horns. He has lamb's horns, which is a representation of the form of government. The government itself is not bad. It's lamb-like. But it's the beast that speaks like a dragon. And a beast is representative of much more than just the laws that govern the land. It's made up of the people and the rulers. And this beast does something, doesn't it? It deceives all nations and leads all nations back to the worship of the first beast. History repeats itself. As all the world wondered after the first beast, so all the world will once again wonder after the first beast through the working of this beast, which is later called the false prophet. Just as a false prophet leads men to worship of a false god, so this beast leads men back to the worship of this false god, this beast, this first beast. And in order to bring about and enforce its decrees, it creates an image to this first beast a system of political and religious tyranny, much like the papacy, will be created in this nation. It will arise. It will be created, and then it will receive life. Life will be breathed into it. And it will cause all, both great or small, to receive a mark in their, in their right hand or in their forehead, and that as many as do not receive the mark, that they should be killed. So we see events prophesied and that this beast is going to lead all men to the worship of this false system of religion. And that false system of religion is not simply the papacy, but it's representative of Babylon, that whole system of false religion in this world. Everything that is false and deceiving, every God that has set itself up in the place of God, this power will lead men back to the worship of false gods and idols. And in order to enact its decrees and see that all men worship this power, it enforces it by a death decree. It creates this religious 
political system of tyranny that then combines with the state and enacts laws to persecute and put to death those that will not bow down to the image. And we see types of this in Daniel. Types of this in Esther, of Haman and Mordecai, and in the three worthies in the book of Daniel. We see examples of this. You can even go back to the Exodus, the book of Exodus, and you see when the Hebrews were in Egypt. God has given us many indications to understand how these events will be fulfilled. And then after these things, chapter 13 closes by saying, Let him who is wise count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And notice that it is to be counted, which tells us that the numbers are to be added up. It's not just a name. But it's numbers. His name represents numbers that can be counted or added up. And its number is 660 and 6. And immediately after saying this, chapter 14 commences. And what do we see? We see 144,000 standing upon Mount Zion with Jesus, with the Lamb, having the Father's seal in their foreheads. So the very thing after that event After these circumstances, we see the sealing is completed. Probation is closed. So here we have another prophetic indicator as to when this will take place. You see this controversy over concerning the law of God, the mark of the beast. And at the very same time that this controversy is going on, the messages regarding that mark and the worship of the true God and coming out of Babylon are going forth to the world as the last warning to an impenitent world. And those messages are doing their work and they culminate in this last controversy over the law of God. Laws are enacted to ensure that men worship this false system. And when those messages or when when those laws are passed, the voice of God's people swell as in a loud cry. And the final message of Revelation 18 verses 1 through 5 goes forth as the last warning to the world. At that time, probation closes. So we have prophetic indicators as when we can expect these things to happen. We look in the world around us. Do we see indications of these things? Are the circumstances in the Middle East, surrounding Jerusalem and the king of the north, stirring? Is the king of the north upset? You see events there coming to a head, preparing as if it were a boil and is going to burst any day. And the scenes here in the West are portrayed in the book of Revelation, tied in with it. We know that synchronous to the events that are going on in the Middle East, there will be events going on in the West surrounding this nation and the controversy. Satan will be working through this nation to be leading men back to the worship, this false system of worship called Babylon. Miracles will be wrought. Signs will be wrought to bring men back to this system of religion. Spiritualism will become a great power and a great influence in this land to lead men back to this false system of worship. But during this time, God will have a people who are bearing a particular message a very specific message as a loud trumpet 
warning the people against the worship of a false god. They will say, worship him who created heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters and all that in them is. And fear him and keep his commandments, for his judgment is come. And they will warn people, saying, come out of Babylon, for that great system of religion is fallen. It is morally corrupt. It has become a cage of every hateful and unclean bird. It is a filthy habitation. Come out of her, lest ye be partakers of her sins and receive of her plagues. And God will have a, a people who will lift their voice, warning against receiving the mark. Warning against this movement that is going on to enforce worship upon the false day, upon a false Sabbath. We know it as Sunday. And there is a movement afoot as we speak to make Sunday the Lord's day, a day of rest, obligatory upon all men. It is ready to burst upon us without warning. We don't know when these events prophesied will take place the exact day. God has not given us that, but he's given us the signs to know when the time is near. And the question is, when will the judgment, not the investigation necessarily, but the sentencing and execution pass from the dead to the living? Will there be a specific event that will tell us when you look at these signs that we've all considered, specifically Revelation chapter 13, I want us to look at it carefully. How is it that God will investigate all the cases of the living and pronounce judgment upon them and judgment close? People are being born and people are dying every day. As it were, if time continued, you'd have people being born. You'd have this con investigation continuing on without end. People would be dying. Their cases would have to be examined. You would never have a transfer to the cases of the living because people are continually dying. There has to be a catalyst to bring about this transition of judgment from the dead to the living. There has to be a particular event which makes it plain and clear to all whose side they are on, that the case will be determined. Every man's case will be decided. And when you look in Revelation chapter 13, you have just such an event. Laws are enacted. Men are forced to worship the first beast. And at the same time that these laws are being enacted, God has a message going forth to the world, warning them of this. And this message has been going on for years. But at the time that these laws are being enacted, the voice swells, the message swells to a loud cry, and the people are warned against it. So every man is informed as to the true nature of these laws and the true nature of the controversy, that it's not a political thing. It's a spiritual battle. It's a war being waged between the devil and Christ. And we are called to take sides as to whom we will serve. 
So all men will be aware that this is not simply a political issue. This is not simply another political movement or just another church movement. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. And all men will be brought to see this and understand this. And they will have a choice to make. And knowing this, what do I do? Do I receive the mark? Do I bow to the threat so that I can continue to buy and sell? So that my life is not threatened, so that I can go on in ease and comfort? Do I take the mark? Or do I stand for what is true? Do I stand for these words of God that I have heard? What do I do? And every man if at that time will be forced to make a decision. And when that decision is made, probation closes. It is done. And the time of the investigation of the living has come to an end. And judgment will be passed. That those who are filthy be filthy still. And that those who are holy be holy still. You see, God has given us evidence in the Bible as to when that time will take place and the event that will be the catalyst for it. It has to be such an event. Otherwise, investigation will just continue on in this endless cycle as men are born and men die. There has to be a worldwide event, and we find no other such event in the Bible but Revelation chapter 13, which tells me that this is the catalyst. And when you look at the context, how Revelation 13 ends and 14 begins with the sealing and those that are sealed, you see that it has to be. Because it's that message, when it comes to its end, when it has done its work, that you see a people sealed, ready for the garner, 144,000 of them, standing with Christ, not against Him, but with Him. And that brings me to my final thoughts that I want to share all these things behoove us to understand the nature of the conflict and what is required of us at this time. In Genesis chapter 6, in verse 3, God gave us a type to understand. In the days before the flood, God said that he saw and looked at men and he said that even the very imaginations of their thoughts were only evil continually. And he said, I will destroy them with the earth. But, he said, I have found Noah, I have found grace in him. He fears me, he follows me. I will give him a message of warning to give to the people. And they will have 120 years to turn from their sins and turn to me, to believe the message and to enter into the ark. And at the end of those 120 years, probation will close and judgment will come. You see, God has given us a type that during this interim period, during the time from 1844 to the present, while these messages are going forth, there is a work to be done. We are to believe the message. We are to repent of our sins and turn to God, for judgment has been pronounced, not only against this sinful nation, but against this world and the ruler of this world. And sides are soon going to be taken. And God is giving us time. Time to choose. 
Matthew 24, 37. Jesus uses this to help us understand the nature of this controversy. That as it was in the days of Noah, he says, so shall also it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus is seen coming in the clouds, so shall it be. You see, we can expect that the days of Noah are a type for us. Noah had a message to give, and he was moved with fear. We are told, by faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, they were prophesied and moved with fear by his belief and faith. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. God has given us a work to do just like Noah. There is an ark to be prepared for the saving of our house. There is a work to be done, a message is to be given faithfully to the world to warn them. God is calling for faithful Noahs today. Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. Where's the work for us to do for our own salvation, beloved? But it's not a work that we do in our own strength. For we are to know that it is God that works in us his good pleasure. He is the one willing and doing the work. But he asks us to be his mouthpiece. He asks, he asks us to be his voice in the world. To be his faithful messenger, as was Noah. We read in a letter written in 1891, these words. In the darkest hour of trial and temptation, we may have grace to be brave. We may look up and rejoice in hope and courage. But those who would exalt and expand their natures must do it in God's own appointed way. What is that way? By perfect submission and obedience. Our eternal destiny is determined by the character we develop in this life. Our what? Our eternal destiny is determined by the character we develop in this life. We have a work to do, beloved. It's God's own appointed way. God wants that work to be done in his messengers. They are to be a testimony, a testament of God's goodwill and perfect will. That they are not conformed to this world, but they have been transformed by the renewing of their minds. That they may bear witness to God's perfect will. Review and Herald, December 8th. 1891, we read, He whose character is proved, who has stood the test of trial, who is a partaker of the divine nature, will be among those whom Christ pronounces blessed. Whom? Those who have their character proved. Those who have gone through trial and overcome. Those who have been good soldiers. And the last 
statement I want to share with you. How do we do this? How do we perfect a righteous character? It is given us in this statement. This is taken from the book Christ Object Lessons, page 356. This is our work. This is what we are to be doing with the time God has given us. She says, thus actions repeated form habits. Habits form character. And by the character, our destiny for time and for eternity is decided. As we think, we do. And as we repeat those actions, we form habits. And as we continue in that habit, we form character. And it's that character that will determine our destiny. There is a present work for us to do that will determine what the decision will be on us or for us when judgment is passed, when the investigation closes, when that last great controversy erupts upon the world and we are called to make a choice, that choice will already have been made with us. We will be prepared as a good soldier to stand and endure hardness and fight the good fight of faith. You see, it is our character that determines our eternal destiny. And we have a work to do today to form that character, to endure our trials and our difficulties, to overcome by grace and strength through Christ, by faith, to be victors in every battle. You see, we have a work, beloved. It's not a a heroic work of of going out and doing some great and grand work in the world. It's a humble work of bringing into subjection every thought unto the obedience of Christ, using spiritual weapons, bringing down pride and every evil thought and every thought that would exalt itself against Christ and against God. It's a work of bringing ourselves into subjection, of humbling ourselves in the dust that we might be fit to give the message that God wants us to give. Only those that walk with God, like Noah, will God find grace in and will call and give them the message to give to the world. So, beloved, as we go forth here, knowing that the times are upon us, that these scenes of trouble, these scenes of calamity and distress are upon us, how much does it behoove us to see that our characters are such that we can stand before a holy God without a mediator? Is that your prayer? Do you feel your need today? I know I feel mine. And if it's your desire, I'd like to invite you to bow with me as we place ourselves at the feet of the cross. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. O Father, I bless thy holy name. I give thee thanks for thy faithfulness. I am so thankful that thou hast given us a work to do and that thou hast empowered us to do that work. And Father, it may not be a grand or grandiose work, something that will bring acclamation and fame in this world, 
but we know it is a work that will show itself approved unto thee, that it is that of a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And Father, we want to be those faithful workmen. We want to do that faithful work in our hearts, that our lips may be sanctified, that thou, Father, mayest give through us this last message to the world, that we might have not only the words, but the experience to bring power and efficiency to this message. For it will be the experience of the Lamb. It will be the song of the Lamb and the song of all those who have gone through a similar experience as did he and the disciples. Those who have gone through a great disappointment. Those who have overcome by faith and found thee faithful and true. Those whose words will never be controverted because they are much more than words. They are the truth and they are the testimony of their lives and the mighty power that thou hast wrought through them. Father, we pray and hope to be among them. We want to strive to be among that number, to be faithful soldiers in thy army. O oh, Father, I pray that thou wilt make us worthy because we are not. We crave thy blessing because we are in need. And Father, we know our need and we know that only thou canst fulfill that need in us through thy son Jesus. So it is in his name that we come and lay our cases before thee, praying that thou wilt finish that good work that thou hast begun in us that thou will work in us both to will and do of thy good pleasure and will perfect in us a righteous character. Father, bless thy people. And I pray thy kingdom come soon. I pray these things come to an end soon, but not until the number is made up, not until thy people are ready, I pray. Hold back the winds of strife that are about to blow until thy people are ready and prepared until they are able and ready to give that last message of mercy and warning to the world that those who are yet appointed unto salvation may be saved as burning brands from the fire. Father, we bless thee and thank thee and bless thy holy name. In the name of thy son, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer